Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back with you this morning. I've uh, been away for the last two weeks. On the 30th, Sunday the 30th, I was out at the at Sterling campus. They put me out there that week. Um, and then last week, I decided to uh, spend some time with my wife. It was her last weekend or week of school holidays. And because she works at a school, she only gets school holidays to take off. Um, so we, uh, as a family, decided just to spend some time together, and so we missed out last Sunday. We weren't here. So thanks for letting that happen. Um, it was a good time of rest. But I'm super excited to be back uh, and, and happy to be back in the pulpit. So would you open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 to 25. That's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 to 25. Uh, the last time I was here was Christmas series. Um, and uh, this year for Christmas, we did something different. We, we, we looked at Christmas 2.0. We looked at uh, the first coming of Christ, but we also looked at the second coming of Jesus. And when we spoke about the first coming of Christ, we, we, we said that Jesus did not come haphazardly. He didn't come for a bit of a holiday. He didn't come just to check it out, to feel like what it would be like to be human. But when Christ came, he came with a mission. He came with a rescue plan. He came with a purpose. Um, we particularly see this in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Isn't that just an incredible statement? I mean, just stop and consider that for a moment. This is the, the God of creation. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He, he, he is uh, the creator of the universe that holds it in his hand. It ticks and moves and, and functions because of him. He is a, a God who sits on the right hand of the throne of God, who, who has angels who are designated to be around him, who cry out constantly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is who he is. And when he humbles himself and breaks into time, into our universe, onto the small little rock called earth, he comes not to be worshipped, which he deserves, but rather he comes to serve. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing that. And he, he comes to, to serve, but how? Well, he tells us how. He comes to lay his life down as a ransom for many. And when we use the word ransom nowadays, I guess most of us think to movies in which we've watched with kidnappings, and you've got a ransom that needs to be paid to, to get back the particular person that's been kidnapped. Um, but when the Im imagery and word is used here in the, the New Testament, it's of someone who's coming to pay an amount of money to set a slave or a prisoner free. The slave was worth so much money to the owner, and you would come and go, well, here is the money that is worth to set him free. And so Jesus is saying here, man, I have come to set you free as slaves. But slaves to what? Well, we see in, in Romans 6 that we are told that we are slaves to sin, and that's problematic for us because in Romans 6 verse 23, it says the wages of the sin, the punishment, the value that we owe to the owner, which is sin, is death. It's death. Now, that's problematic because we don't want to die. <laughs> We don't, we don't want to have eternal death, and, and so we need somebody to come along and set us free from that. And, and when, we have, uh, when we look around, we notice that there's no one who can, because they to themselves owe the same price. They to themselves are slaves to sin, and so this is why Christ comes. 
He looks upon us with love and sees us in a situation in which we can't set ourselves free from. And he has compassion for us. So he breaks into time, humbles himself, becomes a man, lives a perfect life. So he himself was not a slave to sin and represents us on the cross, dying on the cross. So our sin will be placed on his shoulders. The wrath of God poured out upon him and our punishment was taken by Christ. And scripture tells us whoever believes in him and repents will be saved. We will be set free. We will be ransomed from the slavery of um, sin and death. Isn't that great? But the incredible part about what Christ has done is that he has not only just come to set us free from slavery. He's done more than that. The death of Christ has done so much more than to save us from death. He's come to save us into life. Man, the gospel is that Jesus has come and he set us free from the slavery of sin, but he has brought us into a relationship with this God. We see later in Romans 8, it will say that we who believe in Christ are sons and daughters of the living God. We are adopted into a family in which we can now know God and have a relationship with him, but not just as buddy-buddy, as friends. No, greater than that. Man, as one, as a, a, a daughter or a son before their father, and you're able to experience all the riches that come with that. All the hopes, all the glories, all the joys, everything that comes with now knowing God has been made available to you in Christ. You have it all. Because Christ's work has done that. That's the incredible nature of the work of Jesus, is you get to experience the fullness of his love, his joy, his hope, his comfort, a life of purpose, which we've been speaking about a lot this morning. It's all now available to you in Jesus. Isn't that great? And the, the right of Hebrews in which we are, are going to look goes, now that you have this privilege that has been given to you in Christ, what should you do with it? You have this wonderful uh, opportunity to know this great God. What should you do with it? How do we take hold of this privilege? Does that make sense? So have that in mind as we read our, our section of scripture. And what you're going to notice, as, as we read these things, you're going to, I'll, I'll, my three points, if you want to have a little bit of a, uh, an outline or a bit of a cheat is that you're going to notice there's this phrase that is used throughout this passage. It's, it's this phrase, let us. In light of this privilege, let us. In light of knowing this Jesus and now knowing the Father, let us. We're going to see it repeated three times. And those are going to be my three points this morning. Those are the three actions in which we need to take. So we're going to read verse, the first one and we'll unpack it. We'll read the next one and so forth, so on and so forth. Let's read verse 22. It says, my son has just learned how to talk this week. So <laughs> that's him at the background. It says, let us draw near. In light of this privilege, let us draw near with a, a, a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts being sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our, our bodies being uh, washed with pure water. 
Now, if you would just allow me for one moment this whole sermon to become a little technical, I promise I won't become more technical than I am right now. The word draw near here in the Greek, ooh, in the Greek, is this tense that's called present continuous. Sounds fancy, but what it pretty much means is in the present, continually do so. Does that make sense? As long as it is the present, do this thing. As long as it is now and now and and now, which is the present, make sure you draw near to God. He's saying you've got this incredible privilege that Jesus has made, that you are able to be ushered into the presence of this holy God that Jesus has made. Use it as much and as possible as you can, as long as it is the present. Make sure you do it. Milk it for all it's worth. Abuse it. Abuse the system that Christ has made for you, that you are able to go into the presence of God. Does that make sense? As long as it is now, make sure that you are able to draw into the presence of God. Now, now what does he mean by draw here? And may I suggest to you what he does not mean, first of all, is he does not mean church. Well, should I say, he does not mean just coming to church. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Church is vital. And I, I'm, the, I'm at the moment the acting pastor of this church. I want you to be here. So I'm not saying don't come. No, 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 it's vital. Church is one of the uh, incredible um, graces that God has ordained that when the saints get together, when the his children get together to worship him and to hear his word preached. He has promised that he would be here. This is an vital thing. This is a means of grace that you aren't able to replicate elsewhere. Haven't you ever experienced that before? When you've had an incredible time at church and someone who else hasn't been there, a family member who might have been sick or has not come and you go to them afterwards, man, the pastor said this and God spoke to me. And like, yeah, that's great. You just couldn't replicate it. Because there's something special that God comes and does here on a Sunday when the saints gather together. But it can't just be church. Why? Because he says present continuous. As long as it's present. He's not saying once a week drawn near. He's not even saying for a few hours a day drawn near. But he's saying continually drawn near. You have this privilege. Once you leave this building, your drawing near to God is not done. It's not done. Draw near to Him. The idea of you can only meet God in a certain location is an old argument which Jesus argued against. Remember the woman at the well. We spoke about her about four or five months ago. The Samaritan woman, where, where Jesus asks her for water, and she says, why are you a man and a Jew? Why are you doing this? And they get into a discussion, and Jesus starts to touch on some hard stuff, and she doesn't like it. So what does she do? She runs up into her mind, and she starts having a, a theological a lot, uh, discussion with him. Oh, oh, the Jews say we must meet in Jerusalem, but we as Samaritans say we should meet on this mountain. But uh, we won't really know. And Jesus goes, hang on, hang on. You've missed this. It's not about location. It's about person." It's about a personal worship in spirit and truth. It's not about where you meet with God. It's about who you are and in your heart. You're able to meet with him wherever. That's the beauty of what Christ has done, is that you are able to meet with God just as much this morning as you were on your drive on the way here. God is readily available for you to meet with him. 
And he's, so here he's saying, man, draw near. Draw near to God. Do it. So how then do we draw near? And I think one of the questions we've got to be asking ourselves when we ask ourselves how do we draw near is what stirs in my heart affections for Christ? What are the things that when you do it, when you read it, when you're around it, when you see it, when you smell it, when you taste it, whatever it might be, what are the things that stir up affections in your heart for Jesus that get you excited? That, man, I, I can't wait to spend time with him, that I can't wait to know him, that I, I just, man, I just want to be faithful and obedient to Christ today. I just want to do what Jesus has called me to do. What are those things? And, and it's important that you genuinely figure these out, write them down, and do them as regularly as you can. And so as I was preparing the sermon, I thought, man, I want to get people to make sure they go home and write a list and so that they can do it. And then I realized that I had not written a list. And so I decided to write a list. Here are some of my things. Now, what you're going to hear in this list, and this is important for when you do yours, is you're going to see that some of these are spiritual and some of these are just not. Some of these are going to apply to you, and some of these won't, because these are my affections that draw up affections in my heart for Christ. So here are just some. One of them is, man, when I intentionally go away to hear from God. So this is more of a spiritual one. When I intentionally go on a holiday to seek God, to hear what he had to say. I've only done this twice since I've been married, um, and there were never planned vocation, uh, vocations or vacations to go away um, to potentially seek God. It was just happened to be in a situation in my life where I just thought, man, I need to hear from God here. And so I asked Alyssa, would you mind if I go away? Could, 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 could I just spend more time reading my Bible than normal, more time praying than normal, more time reading other books than normal? And being gracious, she allowed me to do it. And one particular time I went to, we went to Hogsback and Life was just tough. Situations were around that I was questioning God where I was meant to be, or why I'm going in the direction I'm going, where do I need to go, and just really confused and questioning God. And, and I remember in Hogsback sitting down, praying and seeking the Lord, and the Lord said to me, Joe, I'm good. I'm good. And it was such a game changer for me because what he was saying to me is, Joe, don't look at your circumstance and then depict who I am via your circumstance, but rather look at, your, look at me and know that I am good and look at that lens at your circumstance. So I was able to go, man, this is, this is my situation. My situation is bad, but God is good. But he is good. And it was able to stir up faith in me that though it was tough and difficult, I had a God that was good. And good all the time. And so I could trust him and stirred up encouragement in me that I could continue on going because I could trust a good God. The other time I, we went to Stutterheim and I, as I try to do at the end of every year, I try to uh, just reevaluate how the year went. And the Lord said to me, Joe, check your heart. And as I started to do so, he said, Joe, look here, there's bitterness in your heart. There's unforgiveness in your heart. There's anger in your heart. And ultimately, he said to me, Joe, you're a worse off man at the end of this year than you were when you started it. Man, it burned. It hurts. 
And as I repented and asked God for forgiveness, he, he put and placed in my heart a deeper desire for Christ, a deeper desire for his spirit, and I wanted more of him. The two different situations, one was encouragement, one was rebuke, but they led me more to Christ and stirred affections in my heart for more of Jesus. Going away intentionally creates affections for me in God. Quiet times in the morning, I haven't been able to do so much with Malachi because he tends to wake up before I do. But before he came along, what I tend to do is I'd wake up in the morning, early hours of the morning, I'd get a, I may put the kettle on, wrap a blanket around me, sit on the couch with a pillow on my lap. And there was something about that, that when I do that, that stirs affections in my heart for Christ. There's something in that that does, oh, I'm just ready and pumped. Having a coffee in my hand and a pillow on my lap and a blanket wrapped around my legs. Don't ask me why, it just does. Then something else is when I remember that there are friends that I went to school with, that I went to youth group with, around about my age, I'm 28 years old, that have died. I can count about 10 out of the young men two, three years younger than me, or one or two years older than me, who have died. And I was in the shop the other day, I was walking down, and there was this guy named, we used to call him Teddy. And I walked down the shop aisle, and I thought, there's Teddy, I haven't seen him for years. And in that moment, I remember that that wasn't Teddy, because Teddy had died. But there's something about that for me, that when I remember that how fickle life is, how short it is and how it can be taken an instant that stirs affections in my heart for Christ. Because as a young man, I do not want to come to the end of it and realize that I've wasted my life. And there's something in it that goes, man, I want to live for the glory of Christ and use it for his purpose. It stirs affections in my heart as strange as it is. Man, my son, as I, I see him, I, I, I just, I, when I'm lazy and I just don't want to spend time in God's word and I don't want to pray and I'm just grumpy to my wife, there's something when I see him that goes, I need to ask Alyssa for forgiveness. I need to pray more earnestly and more sincerely. I need to devour this book because I want him to be a man that grows up loving it and I don't want to be the reason he does not. When I, when I listen to certain songs that I sing over and over again in my mouth in my, for a month, um, that just have anointing in my heart. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus is the one that's been sung to Malachi for the last seven months because it's something that stirs affections in my heart. And when God gives me something else, I'll sing something else. Books, man, the Psalms, if I can't read anything else. I used to be a theological junkie that loved to read Romans and I still enjoy those books and I love the deeper ones and I used to think of Psalms as being someone who likes Psalms as, man, they, they just don't like reading, so they go to Psalms. God has stirred affections in my heart with Psalms. If I can't read anything else in the day, I'll read Psalms. As something as silly as highlighters. I'm not a stationary type guy, but sitting down with my Bible and highlighting in my Bible stirs affections in my heart for Christ. I get excited that I'm able to do something and I can't wait. What is he going to say to me that I'm able to highlight? This is going to stand out. What stirs affections in your heart, church? And there's no right or wrong in this. There's no right or wrong. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. The Bible definitely talks about right and wrong. And if you come to me and say, Joe, having an affair with my secretary stirs affections in my heart, you are wrong. Okay, you're wrong. That's not right. Besides for 
prayer and scripture, which are the foundations. And all of these here that I spoke about want me to spend time in this and want me to pray. Those are fundamentals. If you're not reading and praying, maybe that's why your affections are low. But what else are you doing that can stir up affections for you in Christ? Is it floating down a river? Is it going fishing? What is it? That just man has the peace of God that rushes over your soul and gets your affections for him. Figure them out and do them. And I can't tell you what those are. I can't. If you come to me and say, Joe, my quiet time is lacking. I just, I find that it's, I'm boring, I don't have affections. And I say, well, how do you do it? And you say, well, Joe, I get up in the morning. I'm like, oh, that's great. Like, I, I wrap a blanket around my waist before I sit down on my couch with my cup of coffee. And I go, man, that's brilliant. And then I get going. I'm like, what about the cushion? You're like, I don't have a cushion. I'm like, well, there it is. Spiritual problem solved. It's not going to work like that. For me, the reason why that works is because when I used to wake up as a kid, that's how I used to see my grandfather doing his quiet time. And that's why it gets me excited. It's because for me, I associate that to spending time with God. And that's why it stirs affections in my heart. It's going to do nothing with you. What is it? And do it. Stir up those affections so that you draw near. But I guess the opposite must be true as well. Is we need to ask ourselves the question, what robs us of our affections for Christ? What are the things that are in our lives that are taking away affections for Jesus that mean that we do not want to draw near to him? Now, straight off the bat, sin will do this to you. It is rebellion against God. It's disobedience. Ultimately, whether it's intentional or not, it's going, Lord, I'm going to live my life my way and not yours. I want this to satisfy me, not you. Whether you've been intentional or not, or in that or not, that's what the sin is. So if you're doing sinful things, man, your affections for Jesus will be robbed. It will be taken away. But there's also things that we do in our lives that aren't necessarily sinful, but yet aren't beneficial for having affections for Jesus. We see this in Hebrews 12, verses 1. The writer of Hebrews is talking about running a race for Jesus, and he says, in order to do this effectively, what we need to do is lay aside every weight and sin. You must lay aside sin, but there's something else that's not sinful which pulls you down. It weighs you down as you try one run this uh, race. And so it's important that we figure those things out. It's not necessarily beneficial. It's not sinful, but not beneficial. So I made a list, because that's, again, we need to make a list. And these will be short. For me, if you, one thing, you're, when you get to know me more and more, is you'll realize I have an addictive personality. I, um, I, when I do something, I give it everything because I get addicted to it and I just I give it my whole, which can be used for God's glory, but can also used to do things that are really not for his glory. Uh, and this has been from a real young age. At the age of seven, eight or nine, is that me? I'll hold it better. At the age of seven, eight or nine-ish around there, I can't remember the age, I used to um, ask my mom for two rand because we used to stay behind Total Garage and I would go to Total Garage, and I mean, it was really safe in Ganubi, and I used to just hop over the wall, over their wall, which is the boundary on ours, and I'd go into the shop and I'd buy myself chips all the time. That's back then when you could buy a packet of chips for two rand. And, uh, and so I used to ask my mom for two rand, and one day I went across the counter paying for um, my packet of chips, and I noticed that I could win a car via scratch cards. And so I started buying scratch cards instead of, um, instead of chips. My mom had no idea, by the way. She thought I was buying chips. 
And I just wanted to win a car. So every time I won like 10 Rand out from the two Rand, I would just use all 10 Rand to buy more scratch cards until I won the two Rand, until I would have won the car, which I never ever won. And I don't know what would happen when a seven-year-old decided to win a card from a scratch, or actually won a car, and how that would go down. My mom eventually found out and put it into it and, and gave the ladies at the till a mouthful that they were selling uh, scratch cards to a seven-year-old. But I've been addicted from a young age to anything like that. So for me, gaming... And young men my age uh, like to game um, and like to play on video games. I just can't do it. Why? Because my heart is one and my, uh, who I am is one that I just pour in everything. How I think about it, I strategize about it. When I'm not playing it, I'm thinking about how I can get better at it. And what happens is I just become extremely addicted and it consumes me. So while not sinful... It is something that's not beneficial to me that I need to make sure that I avoid because it robs my affections for Christ because I'd rather be doing that than spending time in God's word, so I need to avoid it. So that's why if you look on my phone, I have no games. I don't own a computer with games. I don't own consoles. I don't do that because for me, it will steal my joy in Jesus and take over. The same can be said for me with social media. I stay away from it as much as I can because what I try not to do is go through the newsfeed and see the divisive uh, hatred and forgiveness that is found in the social media that stirs up anger in me when it shouldn't. So I stay away because it does not do any good in my heart. The same could be for series. I'm the type of guy that I can watch a series all the time, continuously, and it consumes me. When I was 17, I was given a, 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 um, a box set of, of uh, Smallville, um, which is about Superman. Now, what 17-year-old doesn't like Superman? And so I would watch constantly that. And my youth pastor would give it to me on the Friday, and I'd be done by the Sunday night to give it back to him. And there's 24 episodes of 40 minutes each. And I would watch it all to the point that I'd wake up on Monday morning and sitting in class at school going, how would Superman deal with this in this situation? Consumes my thinking. So I, I can watch series and I can watch an episode or two, but I can't do lots. Because this part of me means I get involved in it too much. It robs my affections for Christ. I need to stay away. And so what are the things, church, that rob your affections for Jesus? Sin will always do it, but what are the things that aren't necessarily beneficial that would strob your affections for Christ that you do not want to draw near? Stay away from them. Get rid of it. And may I suggest to you that this is not going to be easy. Man, it's hard. The things that rob our affections for Christ are often the things that want to, that we enjoy the most, that we love and it's not sinful, so it feels okay, but it's taking you away from your affections from Jesus. So man, what are those things? And when we do this, man, there is a change in us that takes place. When we are obedient to lay aside the, our sins and, our, uh, and things that rob our affections for Christ and rather do the things that stir up affections for Jesus, there is a change that happens. We see that in this passage. We see what happens is that what happens is there's this change of heart. Our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And not only is it an inward change, it results in an outward change of our bodies being washed with pure water. There is this change that takes place once we draw near to Christ. But what I want you to notice is that what happens first is you draw near to Jesus and then you are changed. 
not changed and then draw near to Jesus. So if you're struggling with sin this morning and you are feeling far away from the Lord and you just want to be near Him, don't say, I first need to sort myself out before I come to Him. No, come to Him and He will sort you out. That's the way it's done. Don't put off drawing near because you're not right with Him because that's not how it works. It's because Jesus has done all the work and made the way. It's not based on your works. It's based on His. Draw near to Him and then you will change being in the presence of God. So think about that. What are those? Write those down. We're going to move on to the next, next point. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This might seem obvious to you, but this precedes the one that's come afterwards. Now, that's obvious, right? This, is precede, oh, this, uh, sorry, this goes after the one we've just done. This draw near of perseverance comes after the one that is to draw near. And while that's important, it's because these two are independent upon each other. Hear me here. It is impossible to persevere without drawing near. It is impossible to persevere well if you aren't drawing near to God. These two need one another. So what do I mean by persevere? Because it would help here. And why is it that we need to draw near? Well, persevere can mean one of two things. Persevere, probably the way we understand it, which Gary shared this morning, is the hardships of life. Difficulties, the storms, the, uh, the valleys, the darkness, whatever biblical imagery you want to use, the trials. These things, we need to persevere through those hardships. It's dependent for us on drawing near to God. Why? Because when I'm in the hardships of life, that I, as I draw near to God, I remember who He is. I remember He's the Creator. I remember He's all-powerful. I remember He is the God who sits on the throne and is in control. But I also remember He is my Savior and the God who loves me and is my Father who cares for me and has compassion for me. And so what happens when I'm going through the hardships and difficulty of life is that I'm able to persevere knowing that this is the God that says He will never leave me or forsake me. This is the God that's on my side. This is the God that promised he'll be faithful and providing for me like Gary and Joe have found out. Man, this is my God. So if you lack drawing near to him, you start to doubt him, you start to question him, and persevering through hardship becomes a whole lot more difficult if you're not near him. Does that make sense? It's pretty obvious. If you need him to draw near to him because he will be there to help you, and you will know that, and you will trust him and have faith in that. But the other way perseverance can be understood, and I think this is where the author of Hebrews is leaning towards more than just that, is perseverance and holding fast here is to life of obedience and faithfulness to Christ. He's saying, man, now that you have this God who is available to you, Draw near to him because he will help you persevere in living a life that is faithful and for the glory of Christ with one of purpose in which we've been speaking about this morning. A life of purpose. Why? Why is that important? Because as we've got to realize that Jesus says in John 15 verse 5, says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, you can do nothing. And so it is important if we're going to live a life of righteousness and faithfulness towards him that we need to make sure that we are clean to the vine 
who gives us the strength, who gives us the guidance, who gives us the ability to be able to do it. He empowers us with his spirit so that we might be able to live a life of righteousness and holiness. But also there's this element in persevering in this because it's difficult, right? Living a life for the glory of Jesus is hard. We've, if you've been with us through the Sermon of the Mount, you would realize that. It's been a challenging passage to go through. What Christ has called us to is difficult. And often what happens is that we find ourselves in a place where we've messed up, where we are struggling, and we just can't believe that we have done that again and we never seem to get this right. So why is it important that we need to draw near to God here? Because in that moment, we remember that it's not based on who I am and my ability that I'm able to approach the throne of God, but it's because of what Christ has done. We hold fast to our confession. What is our confession? Not my work that got me there, but Jesus' work. I have not set myself free, but Christ has set me free. I am not being able to draw near to the Father because of what I have done, but what Christ has done. And so though I am messing up, I am able to, able with confidence, approach the throne of grace knowing it is because of what Christ has done. Does that, you get that? This confession that Jesus has done it all helps us to persevere in righteousness because I'm going, it's not based on what I have done, but on Jesus. And so I can lay my failings aside and be able to continue on striving because of what Christ has done. And you might doubt that even more. You might at moments say, Lord, you can't love me in these moments. And he goes on to give us the ultimate encouragement. He says, uh, he, who, uh, he goes on to, to say here that he is faithful, for he who promised is faithful. The ultimate encouragement to persevere with faithfulness in living and in difficulties is that God who promised is faithful. When you are being unfaithful, we can trust that he is faithful. When you aren't living a life that you should, you can trust that his righteousness lasts forever because he has said so. You can trust that his work that he has done to lead you to God is sure and true because he has done it. You can be sure that he promises that he will see you to the end of this race because he is faithful. And how do we know he is faithful? We look back like we did on Christmas Day, and we saw that Christ has come, that God shaped history and nations and people in order to send Jesus so that he might die on a cross to save us, that if God was willing to do all that work and to do that, to bring Christ for you and me, surely then he would not abandon us. Surely then he would see us through to the end. He is faithful. That is the ultimate ultimate reason to persevere and to draw near because he is faithful even when we have not been even when we have not been thank you lord let's look at the last one the last letters verse 24 and 25 it says this and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. This here is the most incredible verse. And if you will, this is for me and for the writer of Hebrews, this is the climax 
This is the ultimate verse. How the first two were dependent on one another. The first two are dependent on this one. You cannot, and I hope you hear me here, you cannot draw near to God fully without having the community in which he's talking about here. You cannot hold fast and persevere fully without having the community in which he is talking about here. Why? Well, firstly, what you need to understand is that what God, what God has saved us into, the reason why you can't uh, draw near to God fully without community of saints is because you need to realize what we've been saved into. What has God saved us out of? He saved us out of isolation and slavery, and he saved us into what? Into a family. That's what his plan and purpose for us, is that we as a family might do life together and draw near to him together. And I'm not saying that by yourself in isolation, if you were stuck on an island, you would never be able to know God, but you would lack something. Because there's this togetherness that we are drawing near to God and understand him fully. Because we also got to understand that the God we have is a triune God. He's a God of community. He himself, there is community in him. And if we are to know him fully, we need to make sure we do so in community. You cannot do it by yourself. In isolation, you just can't. You can't persevere outside of community either. You just can't. Because the whole passage is about stirring up love in one another. It's about doing good works with one another, getting each other to do that, to live the life that God wants us to do. We need one another. Why? Because it is difficult. And when I am weak, I'm so grateful that I have Brian, who is strong, who's able to come alongside me and go, Joe, buddy, pick it up. When, when I'm struggling, that I'm able to have Pete that is able to hold me up and go, come on, man. Let's do this, because together we are stronger than we are separately. That's just obvious, right? Any team sport, any coach, you know that individuals that play aren't as good as a team that plays. That's why you can have a whole bunch of superstars in a team, but if they play individually, they will lose to a team with no superstars. Because together we're stronger, and we persevere and we're able to draw near and know God more and more together. We got to make sure that we live a life together. And the way that this is, and the beauty of this, is it's not an extra mural activity that needs to take place. It's not a, okay, Joe, we only meet once a week here, so let's meet every day of the week. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about doing life. Just do life together. And the beauty of that is you all do life as it is. You already have suppers. And if you don't, come and chat to us afterwards. But you already have suppers. Those of you who have dogs and take them for walks, you're already doing that. Why not fight somebody else along to it? You have teas. You have breakfasts. You have book clubs. You go for runs. You go fishing. You go hunting. Man, you all do that stuff together. Just invite somebody else. Let's do life together. And you might say to me, Joe, man, life is tough. It is busy. I am working around the clock. I do not have time for it. When I get home from work, I am tired. I don't even like people. Why do I want to spend time with anyone else? I'd rather put my feet up on the couch and watch TV. I get that because that resonates with me. But I want you to realize, what are you giving up? You've got to weigh it up. 
at the end of the day, their ultimate question comes down to, do I want to sit on the couch or do I want more of God? Do I want to be alone or do I want more of God? Do I want to be lazy or do I want more of God? And when we do it like that, it seems like a no-brainer, right? It seems ridiculous to choose this option. It seems ridiculous. Church, we are called for community because that's what we've been saved into. And when we do that well, we're able to persevere together and we're able to draw closer to God in a way we could never do by ourselves. This is the beauty of the gospel that we have in Christ. Not to be by ourselves, but to do life with one another. And I'm going to end off with this statement. I'm going to call Peter up. We're going to sing a song. We're going to do things a little differently this morning. Is that when we're able to do these three letters, we're able to encapsulate the whole of the Christian faith. Let me show you. The first letter says, let us draw near with hopes uh, and full assurance of faith. There's the first one. The second one is, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. And the last one is, let us together stir up love. Faith, hope, and love is encapsulated when we do this together. You're able to get the whole of the Christian faith and do it well when we do this. This is the great thing that we have. We're going to sing a song uh, if we're going to get up. And then after that, we're going to have communion. Lord, we are just so grateful for the cross of Christ. That it's the work that you have done, you have made in new and living ways that we might come to know this great God. This God who loves us, who in, the, in his presence there's a fullness of joy and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore because of Jesus this is accessible to us. And we pray, Lord, for our church that we would be a people that take full advantage of this. So as we partake of the elements and, and as we and they pass around and we eat and drink of them, Lord, we, we just pray that there'd be a stirring of affections in our heart for Jesus. We pray this in us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Would you just hold on to the elements and we eat and drink together? with us this week, Lord, as we do this, help us to draw continually near to you, to love you, to know you. May we do this together in community for the glory of Christ, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.